Christians uh, this weekend put before us a, a challenging proposition, which is that sometimes the wisdom of God differs uh, from the conventional wisdom of the world and appears in the eyes of the world to be foolishness. This is a theme that St. Paul develops in this early part of 1 Corinthians, that um, sometimes what the world sees as foolishness, right, is in fact the wisdom of God, or what uh, the world sees as the essence of power, God doesn't see it the same way, or what is the ultimate source of goodness, God sees it differently. And sometimes those, the world and God's vision, right, come into conflict. And Paul, Paul sort of sets this up um, by, by giving to God these three attributes of, of wisdom, um, of power, and of goodness. These are uh, often uh, the three, these are called the three omnis in the philosophical debates about God's existence. Omni, omniscience, which is God's all-knowing, right? Omni, uh, omnipotence, which is God's all-powerful. And omnibenevolence, which is God's all good. In fact, um, Peter at the end will talk about this debate that we're hosting on Wednesday night uh, on campus on the existence of God, a uh, live debate. And, right, that's what they're actually debating. They're debating a philosophical conception of God, right? Whether God exists as this independent, transcendent creator, right, outside of the universe that has these three qualities, right? Omniscience, omnipotence and omnibenevolence, right? You can imagine the objections and the fighting that have gone on uh, over that question. But Paul says, here's how I would frame it with Paul. He sets this up. He says, if these are important to know about God, right? Because it says, does God know what's best for us? Right? That's omniscience. Does he have the power to do something about it if he knows it? That's omnipotence, right? And does he want to? That's omnibenevolence. Right? And so if God, if we're convinced in faith that God knows what's best for us, he has the ability to do that, and he wants to do that, then we have to trust him, even when it conflicts with the world. Because Paul says sometimes the apparent foolishness of God right, is more wise than human wisdom. And that the apparent weakness of God is more powerful than human strength. And that the goodness of God is greater than anything we might claim is the ultimate source of goodness. And so what do we do when there's this conflict between conventional human wisdom and God's wisdom? Right? It's a radical choice of faith in which we say, I prefer God's wisdom and God's vision of power and strength and God's version of goodness over the world's. And then the gospel, Jesus sets up a perfect test case for us, the Beatitudes. right? Because the Beatitudes throw on, on its head, in some ways, everything our culture and conventional wisdom says is the ultimate source of our goodness and happiness, and, and, and fully twists it around, right? If I were to ask you, uh, ask a ton of people to come up with a list of like eight things that would suggest um, 
that are things that would be keys to happiness for the world, right? Eight things that um, would, I don't know, be a sign that you're strong in the eyes of the world, sign that you're sophisticated in the eyes of the world, right? I, I would come up, I think you'd come up with some list like this. Some access to money, right? Wealth and the, the temptation for more and more wealth is certainly part of many people's definition of happiness. Freedom from suffering and pain, right? Our comfort is very important to us. We try to avoid comfort and pain as much as we possibly can. So some, some part of happiness would be freedom from pain and suffering. Some part of happiness would be um, our contentment, that we have kind of what we desire, right? That we don't have this constant striving and er uh, yearning for something else, that we're mainly satisfied with the life uh, that we have. I think some people's uh, understanding of happiness would be something like, I get what I deserve. I'm entitled to certain things, right? A sense of justice, right? That we all get what we deserve. I think for some people in their definition of happiness, pleasure would be a part of the equation, especially maybe uh, the glorification of sexual pleasure. I think uh, in some people's definition of happiness, it would be that we want to be winners and not losers. We, we want our side to win and to vanquish the opponent. We want our opponents to fall because we're on the right side of history and they're on the wrong side of history. Right? And so to be happy, the, the ultimate value is to be winners. It's to make sure that our side wins. I think another element of happiness for others would be prestige. It would be reputation. It would be that I'm perceived well by a lot of different people. That I'm considered in high regard. I'm held in high esteem by many people. Now friends, I want you to just now think about the Beatitudes in light of some of those things. Some of those things maybe you understand, you share, others maybe not, maybe you'd add to that list. But I just want you to think now about the Beatitudes in light of those. For the temptation to money, Jesus says today, blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. To those of us who want to run from pain and suffering, Jesus says, blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the ones who understand human suffering and can be in solidarity with other people because a lot of people suffer and suffering and pain stretches the heart. Blessed are they who mourn. For those of us who value being strong and powerful and exerting power, right, as a part of goodness, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are the meek. Whatever meekness means, it certainly doesn't mean the raw exercise of power that so many of us see as something valuable. To the desire that, to the aspect of happiness that says we're always content, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In, in other words, that it's this constant striving for more and more justice. 
in your own life and in society. He says you, you should never be content. Blessed are those who continue to hunger and thirst and yearn for more and more righteousness. For the aspect of happiness that says that pleasure is the ultimate good, Jesus says, blessed are the clean of heart, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Those who say that our side winning, right, is the key to happiness. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who cultivate unity and, and healing and reconciliation and not division. Blessed are those people. Blessed are the peacemakers who seek to find ways not to win, but to unite. For the aspect of happiness that's about our perception and our reputation and being regarded well by a ton of people, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted and rejected, even falsely because of me. Blessed are you when everyone doesn't think highly of you for standing up for truth and for justice. In other words, friends, Jesus gives us a, a, just a, a test case of, of Paul's second reading, which is, yes, sometimes the world and what the world values and what God values are in stark contrast to one another. The Beatitudes play that out, and I obviously in a homily I can't go, we, we don't have time to go through every Beatitude because they're loaded and there'd be a ton of nuance in all those things I just said. Right? But, but just, I just want us to sit this week with that contrast. That it seems that Jesus is calling us to a way of being, a way of living in the world that is fundamentally different than what we're told is the way to be in the world. That he's calling us to a way of being, a, a disposition of living right? that often is countercultural. In lots of ways. And so I, I invite us this week to, to sort of, I don't know, just rest in that tension. Right? To Sometimes the world and God are on the same page. Right? God created the world, right? Sometimes the world and God intersect, and sometimes they're on the same page. But sometimes they differ in their visions of the ultimate good. And I think Paul and Jesus invite us this week to live in that tension, right? And, and we can trust, even, even if it's not in this life, Jesus, his last promise is, you will be, your reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So we may not see the fulfillment of all these things in this life. It may be until the next life. But we have to trust in the promise of Jesus and St. Paul that the apparent foolishness of God is often so much wiser and better than human wisdom. That the apparent weakness of God so much more powerful than human strength and that God's version of goodness is so much better than our shallow sometimes understanding of goodness. And so let's rest in that, week, in that reality this week uh, and trust uh, in God in a new way.